God, I thank you so much that you uh, have blessed us with this ability to, to, to talk to you openly. God, that you've blessed us with uh, being born in the, the U.S. or coming to the U.S. And, and God, for the freedoms that we have here, God, and, and we just thank you so much for uh, how you've, you've orchestrated that. And God, I just pray that you help us to never, uh, never forget that, God, that you are the one who gives us the ultimate freedom, that you are the one who enables us to have true freedom God, and so uh, we pray that you would just help us each to, to hear a word from you today, God, that you would speak through me and that it would be you and not myself. And God, I just thank you so much for the fact that you care for us, that you're doing good work within us and that you want to continue that good work uh, past us, God. So it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, like well, Bill said, we are going to be in Titus chapter 2, so I invite you to turn there, and we're going to be going through the entire chapter. Uh, we are about halfway uh, through the Titus, which is easy to do since there's three chapters, you know, so you can feel very accomplished by saying, you know, uh, we went through the whole book of, uh, one of the books of the Bible in one month, and uh, just don't tell them it was Titus. Um, so... We are um, reading this, and we're remembering that Paul is writing to Titus. Um, he, he, Paul is the one who discipled Titus. He's the one who has been connecting with him. He's kind of his spiritual father, in a sense. And in Titus 1, we, we learned last week about the fact that he is calling uh, Titus to, he has a mission for Titus. Titus is going around Crete, and he's uh, uh, kind of establishing the church there. There was a bunch of small churches, kind of like house churches, but there was no leadership. There was no ability to, to connect with one another, to grow with one another. And so he's helping Titus. That was Titus's task to go and kind of build order and, and appoint elders. And, and last week, we looked at a long list of, of things of what... Uh, it calls to be an elder of the church and uh, what we looked at that and said you know really that list was for the elders for sure but also it was for each one of us it was a call to maturity to continue to grow in our relationship with God and we're going to be hitting on that a little bit more today but Paul is going to give us something special in Titus 2 he's going to also give us the why why do we do this why do we live this way and so I'm excited to get to that um, so let's just jump right into it because uh, Paul is a dense writer, as you guys know, and uh, there's a lot to mine through here. So starting uh, on verse 1, it says, you, and again, this is Paul talking to Titus. So you, Titus, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Uh, I'm going to stop there already, right? Because there's already something to say about that. Uh, two things. Uh, Paul is going to give a list here in a moment of things and uh, we can take from this an understanding that he is speaking with this list in mind with the fact that everything that he's about to talk about comes from a place of sound doctrine. Uh, you could trace this all throughout uh, the Old Testament of places where he's going to pull this stuff from. But because I assumed that you didn't want to be here for the next four hours, we're not going to go through that specifically. Um, I assumed most of you had plans for the 4th of July. Um, but that's where he's speaking from, a place of experience with Christ, experience with Scripture, and that's where he's teaching from in this list that's going to come up. The second thing that we can pull from this is that is also the call to anyone who steps up onto this stage. Anyone who speaks or teaches within our church or the, the church of Christ is, the, is that they would speak from a place only of sound doctrine. 
That means that we don't come up here and just say, yeah, you know, I saw this on Facebook and I'm just going to share from that. Or I'm going to say this from other social media. Or I'm going to say this because I saw this on my favorite news station. I'm going to say this because I just had this random thought, so let's just talk about that. Uh, we only can teach from a place of sound doctrine, of, of scripture, of looking at God's word, and that's where we base all of our teaching from. Or at least we, that's the hope. And I speak to this for, for two reasons, because uh, one, uh, I've seen this misused at times, uh, not necessarily here. Uh, I'm not going to say that I've done it perfectly every time I've got up here. That's been my motivation is to speak only from that place. But, you know, we sin, we screw up. And uh, luckily, you guys have forgiven me enough to let me stand up here again today. Um, so I appreciate that. But there have been times where people misuse that power, that ability, that gift. And the, 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 the second part of that is you as God's people should call that out for your leaders, should expect that from your leaders, that when your leaders speak, that they should speak from a place of scripture only. And so then the question starts to, to become, are you familiar with scripture enough to weed that out when it's not, to sniff it out when it's not? I think there, there, there's a call for each one of us to be able to do that for each other, because that's such a great relationship. I've loved that with you guys. I mean, I get off the stage, and then, and then you have that moment of, of people coming up, and they say, man, that was great, or I got a question, or, or, or just simply, I disagree with you. Let's talk about that and grab lunch, and that. those conversations are great, because that's us looking at Scripture together and saying, what does God have for us here? What is he saying here? And I, I encourage each one of you to do that with every leader, with every message that you hear, not to just simply accept it for like, oh, well, Pastor so-and-so said that, so I guess it's true. But to look at God's word and say, let's check it. Let, let's, let's chew on it myself because God speaks to me too, and I'm going to chew on that. So I want to encourage you with those two things. And we're on verse one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's just an important thing to, to remember. So let's jump into to the, uh, some of the rest of the verses, verses 2 through 10. And this is what Paul writes to encourage, the, to encourage Titus in the Crete church. It says, uh, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, uh, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live, not to be slanderous or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be uh, busy with home, busy at home, and to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one may will malign the word of God. Surely, uh, or sorry, um, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set for them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech that uh, cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you will be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their master in everything, to try to, to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that er in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive." A lot to, to digest there, a lot, a lot being said there. And I, I thought I'd pause here for a moment because, uh, I, you know, 
Pastor Russ is gone again to today and then next week, and I, when he gets back, I, I'm hoping that the report is not like, hey, how'd it go? Well, Greg just kept throwing lists up on the board and telling us how we screwed up. Uh, that's not me. First of all, that's Paul who's making those lists, not me. Um, so blame him. It's easier to do because he's dead and he can't defend himself. Um, two is uh, the fact that this is, again, a call to live differently. Uh, we got to look at something that we didn't look at super closely last week, and that is Crete. What is going on in Crete? Why, are we, uh, why is he saying these things? What is the context that he's writing this in? And so uh, a little bit about ancient Crete is that Crete uh, was not a happy place. It was not a place that was normally thought of as a luxury, like nice family get-together location. Uh, actually, Crete was a very dangerous location. Uh, it was a port town uh, or a port island more so. Uh, sailors would come in, they'd kind of party it up, and then they would leave out. And so that affected the culture of Crete uh, and kind of the idea of living on Crete that you were just uh, kind of living for yourself. Uh, so young people would uh, go and have a lot of sexual experiences with, with other people, and that was common. They wouldn't settle down till they were much older, if at all. And, and uh, also many of the soldiers on Crete were actually just militia. There was no actual, like, a unified place of, like, fighting for our country, kind of like what we're celebrating today. There was none of that patrioticness for them. It was all just for yourself, for the money. Uh, also, uh, there was, their spirituality was just very kind of out there. They were kind of doing whatever they wanted. In fact, uh, Cretes were, uh, in Greek, actually, they, they used the term Crete as for liars, because it was so common for the Crete people to just constantly lie in everything that they said. So there was no, no basis of truth. There was no basis of caring for other people. It was all about the individual in this time. And so when he speaks to this people, he's, he's trying to help them understand how to live differently. You know, these people who came to know Jesus at this time, uh, they came to know Jesus, but there was no discipleship yet, as we, we were seeing in chapter 1. They didn't have leaders. There was no ability to grow. And so that first section, as we're reading it uh, in verses 2 and 3, he's speaking to the men, and he's calling them out and saying, live a life that is worth following. Uh, live in a respectable way. Live in a way that you can teach from uh, a place of authority, of a place of experience. And we see that in chapter 1 again, where he's calling them to be elders and live differently. And so that's his instruction to the men, is, is you older men. And before we get too far into it, I'll let each of you self-identify with a younger or older group yourself. I think that you guys can do that, and I definitely won't point out that uh, he was probably talking to older people, whereas actually 30-year-olds and up uh, is who that qualifies you as, so you, you do you. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm definitely in that older category now, so I'm, I'm dealing with that. Um, but he speaks to the men, and he calls them out and says, you live in this way that's respectable. And then verses 4 and 5, uh, he calls to the women, and he says, you women live in a place of reverence. Live in a place where, you, uh, where young women look at you and they see wisdom. They see uh, a, a style of life that they want to go after. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, you know, what he's calling them to live like is like some of us, like our grandparents. You know, I think of actually my wife's grandparents. 
Uh, they are mature believers. They are uh, the, the, her, both of her grandpas uh, are, are pastors of a church and, and just amazing men of God. And their, their wives are just awesome. And I love them so much. And uh, they are people that I look at and I say, man, God has done some amazing things in their life. God has really worked and, and matured them and grown them, and they're still growing, even uh, though they're older, and, and, and they're still just hungry for God's word. And I, I look at that and I say, man, I want to have that when I get to that age, when I, I want to have that humility to learn. I mean, they talk to me, and, and they're willing to learn from me. Like, what do I have to teach you? But that humility to learn from generations on generations is only a place that's God. And I think that's what he's saying, is to live a life that you're like that grandma. Maybe some of you guys have that grandma or that grandpa in your life who, who you just look at and you're like, man, God just pours out of conversations with them. It seems to answer their prayers just a little bit more, or at least it feels that way. And I, 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 that's what Paul is calling these women to be like, and then to share that instruction with the younger uh, women. And again, he's calling those younger women uh, not just a, a life of servitude or anything like that, but he's helping them understand to stop living a wild lifestyle, which was common to Crete. He's telling them to live in a different way, that God wants them to pour into their family, not to be selfish and just to focus on what they want to do, but to focus on the family, focus on what, how they can build up their husbands and their kids and to be a blessing to them. That's what he's speaking to. And then in verse 6, Paul uh, encourages the men to, to, to be self-controlled. And then he looks at Titus. Titus is a young man. Titus is a young Greek who's been uh, being discipled by Paul, but then he is now given this big task. And so Paul is saying, you, Titus, are going to be the example for the young men that you're going to be discipling, that are going to be walking with you. And so this is what he says for them. He says, uh, in everything, set an example by doing what is good. He's encouraging Titus, do what is good. In your teachings, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that anyone who uh, opposes you will be ashamed that they have nothing bad to say about us. That's the call. See, a big part of what Paul is talking about or saying here is to live a life that causes curiosity. Live in a way that, that people look at you and say, something's different about you. Because this, the, what he's talking about is, is so different than the Crete culture. And in many ways, our own culture as well. That we live in a way that, that we care for people. We, we don't just focus on ourselves, but we care for those people around us and that we love them, not because we think we're better than them or think that we have a place of like, oh, well, I have stuff, so I have to give it to you. No, we want to give it to people. We want to share things with people. We want to love people. We want to care for people because Christ cares for us, because Christ died on the cross for us. And we have to share it. We want to share it. He changes us. We should understand that Paul is writing to a people group that are all focused on themselves. And, and, and he's also speaking into their culture, into their context, which is why we see in verses 9 and 10, he addresses the slaves. He addresses the people who don't have any rights. And we know from Philemon that 
Paul's view on slaves is that they should be equal. They should be brothers. He and Philemon is a small letter that uh, he's encouraging a slave owner to release his slave and to see him as a brother in Christ and not to, not to uh, hold his masterhood over him. And so we see that that is Paul's view of slavery. But at the same time, he's going to encourage people. He's going to encourage those people who are still living as slaves to not just overlook them like many other people have in their life, but to actually care for them. And so what he does is he encourages those people who find themselves in that place because actually in, it's interesting that he does so because in Titus or in, uh, in Timothy more so, he talks about these four groups, the older men, the younger men, the older women, the younger women, but he doesn't talk about slaves there, but he talks about those who are in slavery here. And so it seems that maybe in Crete, maybe that was just a little more prevalent than where uh, Timothy was, um, or there were just maybe more slaves within the church of Crete, and that's why he's speaking to them. But he encourages them to minister. Isn't that crazy? He, he encourages those people who find themselves in slavery to still minister, to still care for people, to still do something for God. And I think that's crazy, because am I the only one who is really good at making excuses about why I'm not going to do something? Like, oh, I don't know. I got a headache, God. I don't know if I want to go. I'm just going to cancel that meeting. Uh, I, I want to help out with this one thing, but ugh, life's busy right now. I, I just don't know if I really want to do that. I know I should probably text that person and just uh, step out to, to love on them, but ugh, I just feel tired, and I don't know if I want to do that. I'm, maybe it's just me, and I'm sorry if it just is, but I, I think that many times we make a lot of excuses about why we don't do ministry. And yet we, we see Paul speaking to a people group who are slaves, who have no rights, and yet he's calling them and saying, you are to minister. To who? To your master. To the person who holds things over you. That is crazy. That, that, is, that is bonkers. The only way that can truly happen is if Christ is really at work in their life. I don't know how other way you could love your enemy than Christ doing something amazing in your life. Yet that's what he's calling these people to do. And he does so that in hopes that they can then share something with them. That their, their, their masters would look at them and say, you have something that I don't have. I want to know what that is. And that they could then share the hope of Jesus Christ with them. That's their ministry. Man, that's tough. That's hard. But that's the calling that he's giving them. What Paul is doing here is he's calling each of these groups to be agents of transformation. To be people who are not only allowing God to transform their own life, but that they are then sharing that blessing, sharing that hope, sharing that knowledge with those people around them. And that they would be able to share their blessings, their, their hope in Jesus Christ with other people. And in doing so, their, their community, their homes, their workplaces would be transformed to look more like Christ, to look like more that, uh, that God would have envisioned for them to look. I think it's interesting, you know, we, we serve a very strategic God. God's not just like, oh, 
where, what's going on? I guess I should pay attention to earth a little bit and figure out how things are going and see if I can make some moves. God's so strategic. As many times as we'll pray, God, open the door, allow me to get this job. And then we get that job. And, and then we're kind of like, cool, God, I got it from here. I'm good. I, I know what to do from now. I've been trained. And yet we, we miss the fact that he wants us to do things at our workplaces for his kingdom, to be his voice, to be his presence, to be uh, just his love and care for people in those places. And, and some of us sometimes will then pray, God, you know, I've been here for a couple of years here, open another door. And maybe he does. And sometimes he doesn't because we didn't do anything that we, he wanted us to do in the first place. And so he keeps us there until we've done the things he's called us to do. I think those are some of those moments that we got to look and say, God, what do you want me to do here? How can I serve you right where I'm at today? No more excuses. Let me be used by you. And when, we, when he does, does that, such blessings come out of our lives and transformations to our culture, to our workplace, to, to our families. Am I the only one that has to thank God that my mom knew Jesus because she showed a lot of self-control and I'm not buried in a ditch somewhere? I, maybe there's some of you who maybe had a little bit of a wild uh, lifestyle when you were younger and, and you had a godly mom or a godly dad or a godly grandparent that cared for you and, 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 and kind of helped you through that. And because of God working in their life, your life was blessed because of that. That's the kind of blessing that we are now called as Christians to be to other people, to be there for them in their hard times, to care for them. In verses 5 and 8 of Second uh, Titus, or, or Titus 2, sorry, <laughs> um, Paul is, is, is pointing out the fact that you are called to live in a way that as people look at your life, they would have nothing bad to say about God to live as examples of Christ wherever we are. That's his call on our life. And now in the verses 11 through 15, he's going to give us the why. Why should we live this way? Why should we live for caring for other people? Why should we be willing to, to give of ourselves to other people? So this is what God's word says. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live uh, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to be redeemed, uh, to be redeemed from all wickedness and to, and, uh, and to purity for himself, a, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Why are we called to a selfless lifestyle? Because Christ died on the cross for us. He forgives us for all of our sins, purifies, purifies us from all of our screw-ups. And because of that, we are now enabled to live a new life for him. I, I, just, I just want to focus a moment on this, this, this word, no. 
God enables us to say no. He, he empowers us to say no. What power is in that word no? To be able to say no, I will not allow my family to continue the sins of my heritage. No, I will not be a part of the, the sins that are happening in my community. No, I will not uh, just uh, continue to stay silent and, and, and not care for those people who are being hurt. No, I, I will stand up for those people who are being overlooked, in fact. And, and no, I, I will not continue to just uh, go with the flow and just be okay with how things are happening. No, I'm going to stand up for Christ and stand on his word I'm going to continue to follow him. No, I will, not, I will not just overlook what people are doing in our workplace because God uh, wants me to be an honest worker. And so I'm going to speak up and stand true to him. No, I, I will not stop following God. No, I will not do my own will. I will do his will. I will keep fighting for that until his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. No. No. I will not take advantage of people. No. There's power in that. And the only reason that we can say that is because God enables that in our life to stand up against the evilness of this world, of the sins of this world, and to be able to shout, no, Jesus is alive, and I declare no. I will not do what Satan's plans are for me and my family. We will follow Christ. I love how he ends verse 14, that we would be a people that are eager to do what is good. I think here at Sunrise, we are that way. We are people who are eager to do what is good, and, and I hope that we would continue to let that transform our lives, that we would be a people who are eager to see God win in different communities, in our community, at Mulcahy School, in different areas, you know, at Imago. We want to see God win. We are eager to do good. But also personally, where are you eager to do good? How are you a part of that transformation? God is transforming us from the inside out. And as he does so, we are then called to share that transformation with other people. So I want to leave you with this question that I encourage you to think through in our, uh, as in our, through our last song or maybe just through your day or your week. But where is God calling you to be an agent of transformation? Where is that place where you are called to be a to make a difference because you are there because God has strategically placed you in that place to be his person, to be his representation there. How are you allowing him to use you in those places? Because he, he has you there for a reason. He'll use you there. So where is that place that you need to step more into what God has for you in that place? Because he has work set aside just for you to do. So uh, what so scripture says, uh, that he has work set just aside, just for you to do. So where is that place in your life? And if you can't figure it out, you know, we talk to one of the elders or just whoever you came with today, I'm sure they, they can point out and say, God wants to use you here. But my guess would be that the Holy Spirit maybe has already 
poking you and saying, yeah, that spot, that's where I want to use you some more. So I'm going to pray and get out of his way, and you and him can talk. So let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you don't leave us in the sinfulness and the, the selfishness that we were born into, but God, that you transform our life to be a new creation And in that process of of becoming that new creation, of living into that truth, that reality that we are a new creation, you then use us to do your work, not because you need us, not because uh, we're your only way to be effective in this world. No, you are so much more effective without us, but yet you use us to highlight your strength. You are the one who enables us to do these things. And so, God, I just pray that you would help each of us to look at our lives and say, God, where can you use me? And then help us to step into that, that places of weaknesses and trust you that you are going to come through. Thank you that you are the one who does it and that we get to just hold on to your hand and go for the ride. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.